Hold up your Bibles. I'm a child of God. Have in my hands. Powerful Word of God. Can change lives. Heal broken hearts. Save man's soul. Lord Jesus today. Speak to me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now look at your neighbor and say, he's no ordinary man. Thank you. A few months ago, a few months ago, I mentioned that we try to put God in a box. And putting God in a box is not a good place to be. We should never put Him in a box, but we try to. And we live in a world that's full of boxes. Full of boxes. And we like boxes. Some of us like boxes more than other people like boxes, but we all like boxes. And we keep things in boxes. They help you keep things neat and organized, contained. We make a box and we call it beauty. And in that box of beauty is skinny, the word skinny. If you're not skinny, you know it. Because the world says, get in this box of beauty, but you got to be skinny to get in here. If you're not skinny, don't come in that box. We got to be toned up too, don't we? To be beautiful. Need a tan on our bodies. It can glow red, but it needs to be tanned bodies and toned bodies and Skinny bodies to be in that box. Another box we like to have around us is the box of success. How much money do you have? How much money do you make? How much wealth have you accumulated? Because you see, all that matters in the box of success. Who you're employed to and how many people you employ. If you own your own business. Or what stocks you carry, or does your do you have matching stock options? Large houses describe and define success. Two kids in a picket fence. See if you have two point five kids, that's the maximum. You can't have a three kids, two point five. So who's going to be the point five? Then there's the box called normal. What's normal? Well, in a lot of places, if you're a white middle class person, you're normal. But if you're not, you're not. Well, who says that? And who decides that? What's normal? I lived in Washington, D.C. They know what normal is. They said the middle class are those that make $100,000 a year. They're so out of touch, they don't even know what middle class is. They know what no class is. Well, what's normal? Then there's a box called church. Hmm. You see, you've got to look nice to go to church. You can't go to church if you don't look nice, don't dress nice. 
What's the standard statement? Well, if you're going to meet with the king, you're not going to wear your sloppy clothes. You're not going to wear your flip-flops and cut-off jeans. You're going to go looking nice. Okay? Does God really care about what I wear to church? I think God's more concerned that I'm sitting in church. Now, I don't want you to come naked. That could get ugly for everybody. Please, please wear something. A box, that would be a good box to wear on that day. But you know, we we talk about dressing nice. Don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with women that do. You never say bad things at church. How about the box called worship? (laughs) Doesn't matter what size church it is. Mm -mm -mm. Bigger churches, more lights, everything's black, it's like a theater, it's like a performance. Is that worship? Or is it like maybe our our worship where we have a blend of songs, we have older songs, we have newer songs. Sometimes we use videos and they don't go over very well. That happens. Sometimes the preacher's best efforts don't usually work right. That's okay. We sing, we're asked to sing songs we don't know. I'm not comfortable doing that. Uh-huh, I got you. Do we worship by raising our hands and by saying hallelujah and saying amen? Or do we sit and make sure that our hands don't come up? Which one do we do? Which one is right? Are any of them wrong? No. Lord, no. We know that. It's fun, to, it's fun to watch, isn't it? It's fun to experience. Yeah. And it's fun to watch some of you try to clap your hands with the beat of the song. Some of you are challenged with that. I, I got you. I'm watching you. You're, you're supposed to beat like this and you're on the other one. <laughs> It's okay, because you're doing it with a joyful noise in your heart. Amen? That's right. Some people can't sing worth a lick. You've heard them. You stand close to them. It might even be you. We had a fellow here some years ago. He, oh, he could not sing. It was ugly. But you know what? His old eyes would be closed, and his head would be back, and he'd be throwing down that song. Those around him were having a struggle. But it was coming out of his heart, wasn't it? So, what is that box of worship? And then we've got that box called Jesus. Mm-mm-mm. We put him in a box. We only let him out when we need him. If we don't need him, we don't want him out of that box. I know you just got a raise at work. Jesus is going to raise his head up. He's going to want you to do something with that extra money. What are you going to do? Slap the lid on that box. (laughs) You got an extra few days of not having to work and you think you'll volunteer your time. Jesus raises his head. And what do we do? Oh, not at the church house. No, no, that ain't what I had in mind. So we shut him back down. We put the lid on him. 
You know, boy, that preacher's been talking about reading the Bible. I, I, need, to, I need to read that Bible more. Jesus raised his head in the box. And what do we do? I'm too tired. I'm going to put the lid back on. I don't know. See, because if we don't see him, we don't have to do anything about it. Mm. But it's so easy to miss him and put him in a box until we really need him. And then we throw the box lid up and we say, Jesus, come help me, Jesus. Ah! And he comes out and he helps us. And we always promise, oh, Jesus, if you'll just help me this time, oh, Jesus. Then you'll make some promise, right? And then Jesus helps us. Oh. And then he says, are we ready to go serve now? And what do we do? Get back in that box. What's wrong with you? I told you to get out. Back in that box. Mm. But the problem with Jesus in a box, <laughs> you take the lid off and he's not there anymore. Have you noticed that? Jesus gets out of the box. He doesn't stay in the box. You can duct tape it. You can't tear through duct tape from inside. You can duct tape it. You can box strap it. You can staple it. And still open it, and he's not in the box. Jesus doesn't stay in the box. I mean, after all, when you're out on a lake, you're supposed to be in a boat. Amen? And what do the apostles do? They look up, and Jesus is not in the boat. Where's he at? He's standing up walking on the water. You can't walk on water. What's wrong with him? He can't walk on water. Has he lost his mind? And he tells Peter, you want to come on out here? Well, come on. That's thinking outside the box. Oh, but you know the big one where they tried to put him in the box. They put him in that tomb, right? And they rolled that big old stone on there. And the governor puts his insignia on the top of that stone, which means it ain't moving nowhere because I've done said it ain't moving anywhere. How dare he, three days later, move the stone? And leave. Not only move the stone, got up and walked out of the place. See, you try to put him in a box and he doesn't like staying in a box. I think he gets out of the box just for fun. And he gets out of the box and he looks back at us and he goes, nah, 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 nah. And oh, you're going to try to put him in a box, but he won't stay in a box. He's kind of like my grandson. Oh, you can try to put him in a box. And he loves playing in a box. He'd rather play in a box than he would. If you gave him a $100 toy and gave him a box, he'd pick the box every time. Jeff cut him a hole in the box so he could, it's like a door. He just thought that was the biggest time. He'd get inside, he'd stand on the door trying to close it. It was the funniest thing. He finally figured out how to close the door. And then he'd knock it down and look at us like... Here I am. He didn't close it back up. He didn't knock it down. He did that till the box flat wore out. Went throw it away. And then he came back over to Papa's house and there wasn't any box. Papa had to go find a box. I gotta find a box. <clears throat> Jesus has a way of not staying where we put him. He appears in places you never thought to look. He's missing in places you expect him to be. 
At the age of 12, he goes, up, he goes missing. Families three days journey away and they finally realize that he's not with them. Now, I don't know about you, but I've raised three boys and at the age of 12, I'm not going three days away and not know whether one of them is with me or not. Any of you, any of you on that one? I knew my three boys very well. And there was no reason for me to leave those boys anywhere for three days. Number one, they'd starve to death. Except Jeff. Jeff had to teach his brothers how to eat. Because his mother said, you're going to learn it by five, you're going to feed yourself, or you're going to die. So Jeff learned. He learned early. And he passed it along. Everybody seemed to make it okay. But they go back and they find Jesus. Where is Jesus? Not where they thought he'd be. They thought he'd be in the park playing, right? He's in the temple. Talking to the Pharisees. Hmm. You see, his followers expected him to be on a throne. To set up a kingdom that they would rule over people. Instead, he hangs on the cross. Over and over and over in his 33 years ministry. 33 years on the earth. People try to pigeonhole him. On your outline, I've got a definition of pigeonhole. You ever heard pigeonhole? To place or file in a small compartment or recess to classify mentally or categorize simplistically. That's pigeonhole. And when you try to get Jesus to stay in a limited category, he invariably finds he is bigger than you imagine him to be, more capable and infinitely more resourceful than you ever thought possible. We live in a Jesus-saturated culture. We've got Jesus dolls. We've got Jesus bumper stickers. We've got athletes thanking Jesus for the victory they win. I've yet to see an athlete thank Jesus for his talent on a losing cause. It's always, we, I get a touchdown, so thank you, Jesus. But what if you drop the pass? Do you still thank him? Haven't heard that one yet, have we? We think we know Jesus. We've become so desensitized. We've made him so predictable. Sunday school stories have lost their power, their magic, their, their, their vim, their vigor. We don't hear the stories of the Bible like we did when we were growing up. When I preach the healing of the demoniac to teenagers, I wear a logging chain to preach with. I've got it wrapped all around me when I come in to preach. It's an ugliest looking thing and heavy. And little by little, I start to take that thing off of me as I'm going through the sermon to the very end when I said, and when I met Jesus, all my chains are gone and I drop them. And that logging chain is loud when you drop it, especially if you've got a microphone down there by close to it to where it really makes a loud sound. It makes a difference. Now, you might say, well, preacher, you ought to preach that way. You might draw a crowd. Well, that, it ain't about my theatrics. It's not about my acting ability. It's about you loving and being so in love with Jesus that you can't wait to hear what's got to be said. Oh, I could gyrate and jump around, do all that stuff, but is that going to help you learn more? How hungry are you to want to learn? Well, it's summertime, and church attendance is supposed to drop off during the summer. 
I mean, after all, we've heard these stories. We're in the story. How many more weeks you got to go on this thing? We're in week 24, so six more, six more weeks. My goodness. What else can be said? Oh, we, we got a lot to say yet. We're still working on Jesus. But if you were walking with Jesus in first century Palestine, you would say, I've got no idea what Jesus would do. Remember, they had the WWJD thing years ago. What would Jesus do? You're supposed to wear that, that band on your wrist, and every time you have to make a decision, you're supposed to look down and go, hmm, what would Jesus do? I don't need that to ask me, have me ask that question. I need to have such a relationship with him, I'm going to ask the question anyway. I wonder what Jesus would do here. When I've got pornography looking at me from the computer, am I? it's not hard for me to say, I wonder what Jesus would do right here. Why, well, he'd go ahead and look at it because he knows how weak we are in the flesh. Amen? Why, well, when I'm standing outside the Golden Corral, and you know what the Golden... Why do they call it the Corral? Isn't that great? Why don't they call it the Golden... We're going to give you a heart attack buffet. Why don't they call it that? Why don't they call it, hey, we've got snotty-nosed kids with their hands all over everything in this room. That's what kind of buffet we got here. Why don't they call it that? They call it the Golden Corral. Now, why? Because cattle are corralled. To do what? Eat. So when I'm standing outside the Golden Corral, and Jesus was with me, I don't have to ask the question, what would Jesus do? He would go in and eat everything they offered. Isn't that the Jesus you and I know? That's the Jesus in my box. No, Jesus at the door said, don't you even think about coming in here. Right? Get in the car, boy, now. Now. Flee from evil, brother. Flee from evil. (laughs) See, Jesus on earth was so unordinary, so unexpected, and so random. I want to give you three or four things I want you to take away from this morning's message. Number one. Jesus' associations were out of the box. His associations were out of the box. I mean, last week we talked about the disciples, these, these unschooled fishermen. He goes in and recruits them first. I mean, they're not heads, right? They cuss. They don't do things conventional way. And he, you got a tax collector. He's got another guy that's a traitor and a thief. Can you imagine the treasurer of the apostles named Judas kept up with the money and he's stealing the money under the nose of the Savior? He's not very smart, is he? You don't think Jesus knew that? How about the Jewish zealot that he had on staff? He was an extremist. How could you have both types of people on your group, very in your group? How about Zacchaeus, wee little man? He was a tax collector. Not very well liked. Jesus would go to parties and he would call a drunk a drunk. And a glutton a glutton. He didn't say, I understand you have an alcoholic issue in your life. He said, you're a drunk. 
Quit drinking so much. Quit eating so much. That's what he'd say. He didn't pull any punches either, did he? He said, you're looking at the wrong stuff. Quit looking at naked women on the internet. Stop it. Quit looking at naked men on the internet. Stop it. Isn't that what he would say? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. We're in church. We're not going to say those things at church. He even hung out with prostitutes. wonder what they do for a living. They must be pros at something because that's part of their name. He was compassionate to adulterers, though. <laughs> to adulterers, he was compassionate. He touched lepers. His message, Jesus' message, this isn't your outline, so I want you to write it down. Jesus' message was this. My kingdom is here, and it's different. Jesus' message was, my kingdom is here, and it's different. So Jesus' associations were out of the box. Secondly, his actions were out of the box in a couple of ways. His actions were out of the box in what he did. See, what he did was off the wall. What he did was off the wall. Jeff, go to that next slide if you would. It was off the wall. He would do things that didn't make any sense. Go ahead and hit the first. first, first there we go. If you didn't know any better, you'd think, man, this guy's goofy. This guy's goofy. How he does stuff. He'd let himself get interrupted. He'd be speaking. All of a sudden, kids would run up and start, start goofing off and making too much noise. He'd stop what he was teaching and play with the kids. He, I mean, he had these adults sitting around him. They were in awe of his teaching. And all of a sudden, he said, yes, what happens? I went to four years of college to study how to preach. And I still talk to little kids like, I just do. Lily and I, the other day during BBS, we were talking. She was looking at me going, blah, 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 and I was saying, blah, 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 back. And she grinned at me. I don't know what I said to her, but it was funny. Either that or she said, you're a really funny looking guy. You know what I'm saying? I don't always understand what a kid says, but we, we don't have to understand it. We just have to talk to him. Amen? Yeah. Just talk to him. Kids took precedent over adults in Jesus' life. I like that. The forgotten and the needed took precedent over the important. The people who were trying to do right, he yelled at them. And the people who were caught in sin, he showed great compassion for. When crowds of people followed him, he didn't want them. He went away by himself. I can't imagine preaching to 40,000 people every weekend. I just can't wrap my mind around that. And yet that's what Joel Osteen does every weekend. My son Corey and daughter-in-law Megan went to a service there just to experience it. He said, Daddy, so far away you can't see him. I said, well, if it wasn't for that big old jumbotron and the 
camera on him, you probably couldn't see him because he's just a little speck because he's so far away. So when a crowd gathered, Jesus didn't necessarily hang around the crowd. He went off by himself. When a woman, he's walking through a crowd and a woman reaches up and touches him, Jesus stops and he says, somebody touch me. I I love the apostles here because they looked at him and said, really? (laughs) Really? Somebody touched you? Okay, God, you got it. You got it, Jesus. But you know what he meant. That power left me. Somebody touched me. Hmm. And his actions were outside the box in the miracles that he performed. I mean, blind eyes see, lame limbs walk, leprous skin clean, dead, risen to life. 5,000 fed with just some fish and bread. Walking on the water, calming storms. Jesus' message, read it to me, read it back to me. My kingdom is here and it's different. So Jesus' associations were out of the box. His actions were out of the box. Number three, Jesus' teaching was out of the box. And how he taught, first of all, religious leaders in Jesus' day thought, you know, this guy's nuts because we've been teaching do's and don'ts. That's all we talk about. Do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. More on the don't than the do. Checklists. Jesus, he used humor. He'd use hyperbole. He would say, get that plank out of your own eye. (laughs) He taught with stories and parables. The sower and the seeds. The soils. The prodigal son. The lost son. All worth the search. The good Samaritan. Love your neighbor. Out of the box also in what he taught. He taught the Beatitudes. He said, blessed are the poor, the, those who mourn, the meek, the pure, the persecuted. Blessed are you when men revile you and slander you for my sake. So if you're slandered because you're a Christian, smile and rejoice because Jesus said it's going to happen. You see, the Muslim faith is going to rise and the Christianity is going to be suppressed because, you see, people don't want Christianity to rise. You see. Jesus taught things that had ne- they'd never heard before. It was counter-cultural. Didn't make sense. Completely revolutionary. Matthew 7 said, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at His teaching, for He taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. Well, the same is true today. Things of Jesus go against everything that seems right to us. And if you're really preaching from the pulpit the things of God, it's going to go counter-cultural to what the culture says. Love your neighbor. No, I run over my neighbor. I don't even know my neighbor. What's a neighbor? Give away. Oh, no, 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 no. The Bible says give it all away. No, 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 man. This is the first time in 58 years the economy has shrunk 3%. I don't know what that means, but it doesn't sound good. It doesn't sound good at all. 
but I still need to give. Amen. Time, talent, and treasure. Time, talent, and treasure. If you haven't seen our fully remodeled kitchen, you need to go by and see it. Every woman who's come through here in the last week to see our kitchen has said, Wow, I need one of those in my house. All you got to do is pull out a checkbook. Brother Gary's ready to move on your kitchen. Serve. Oh, no, 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 no. We live in a time when everything will be serving me. No, 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 no. Jesus, the Bible said Jesus came to be served. Oh, no, I think that. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. Oh. Have faith. Don't worry about whether you're in control or not. Did I tell you the economy shrunk 3%? First time in 58 years. So you're losing all your money. Are you still rich? Mm-hmm. You still got stuff you can give away? Mm-hmm. Just go look in your closets. <laughs> Jesus' message is, my kingdom is here, and it's different. So his associations were out of the box, his actions were out of the box, his teaching was out of the box, and lastly, Jesus' expectations were out of the box. Luke 9.23 says this, Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. You see, they wanted both. Well, the people liked the miracles and the meals. But Jesus said hard things. And they were difficult to follow. He says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And that just sounds creepy to me. But Jesus is saying, you're going to suffer the way I'm suffering. So get ready. You're going to be reviled. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be spoken of hatefully. People won't listen to your message. Preach it anyway. Preach it anyway. When you tell them to turn from their sin, they're going to tell you to go, well, you know. And John 6 tells us that some of the disciples decided they didn't want that. It says, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. And then Jesus turned to the twelve and he said, are you also going to leave? And Peter says, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. We just sang about we believe in God the Father. Yeah, do you? Do you believe it? Go find out whether you believe it in the days that come. Today, we're just as satisfied with the physical blessings that God gives, but we reject the discipleship that He calls us to. Well, I don't want to pray for that particular person because I don't really know who they are and I don't know anything about them. Really? So you're not going to pray for them because you don't have a personal attachment to that? What's wrong with you? When you died, when Jesus died on the cross and you said He is my Savior and you accept His blood-bought, baptized uh, uh, life in you, guess what? You know everybody now that says they're a Christian, so you better be praying for them. I don't care who they are. Pray for them. I remember somebody telling me, oh, well, who, who's this person we're raising this, getting this money for? We're, we're getting a funeral dinner together. I don't think I know this family, so no, I'm not going to help out. What? I got to do a funeral last Wednesday. <clears throat> In Sepulpa, at First Baptist Church. They let an old cross-eyed preacher from Christian church come in and preach at a Baptist church. 
And I had an old boy leave, and he goes, man, you remind me of a bunch of Baptist preachers. I said, I'll take that as a compliment, man. He didn't say one, he said a bunch. So I must have covered some ground. You know what I found out? Is they love the same Jesus I do, even though they have Baptists after their whatever their name is. It was fun. I enjoyed every minute of it. Their fellowship was fried chicken, just like ours. Lord have mercy. And it was bought from racers because I've had that chicken before. I knew. <clears throat> it doesn't really matter what's on the outside or what matters on the inside. We sang some great songs. And the funeral was a blessing. See, Jesus calls us to total devotion. He calls us to give up our life. Because Jesus' message is, my kingdom is here. And it's what? Different. And today we're no different. We're still missing it. We've, we've created these boxes. We've become comfortable. We don't, we don't want to serve. We don't want to help. We don't want to reach out. We don't want to do those things that God calls us to do. We don't want to get around the lepers. We don't be around sin because it's going to rub off on us. It already has rubbed off on us. We got so much sin in our own lives that we keep playing the game that we don't have it. When are we going to repent? Children of God, when are we going to repent? When are we going to stop and say, Lord, it's not about me, it's all about you. You know, when Jesus said, take up your cross, what He's really meaning is you need to die to yourself. And be ready to help somebody else. Jesus didn't stay in boxes. And I'm praying that you won't stay in your box. That you'll get out of that box. Because God's ready. God's ready to do something immeasurably more than you could hope or ask. If you'll just let Him. Father, I ask you this morning. As we prepare to sing a song of invitation. Trust and obey. What a great selection of a song to sing after the message like this today. We so much need You. We so much want You to be in our life, to be in control of our lives. And we'll say that very often and we'll pray that fervently. But on the back side of the Amen... We put blinders back on and our memory lapse takes over and we forget what we just prayed for. So God, would we have the courage to let you out of your box, to let you have control of every phase and aspect of our life, from finances to relationships, from being a parent to being a child, to being obedient, to being servant-driven, to be real, consistently real, not fake and phony, not wanting to be accepted because the crowd says to be accepted, but to simply stand and be counted as one faithful to you. I don't know what decisions need to be made in this room today, God. 
I would say most everybody in this room has called you their Master and Lord and Savior. They've repented of sins. They've been baptized into your Son, Jesus. They've risen to walk in new life, only to take on the strappings of the old life that they keep saying they can't get rid of because they're human. I'm sorry, Lord, but your Holy Spirit busted through that. Your Holy Spirit pricks us every day about it. And may you continue to find fertile soil with which to prick. May you find fertile soil with which to grow. May you find fertile soil with which to stir and water and cultivate. And God, will we see in that fertile soil fruit, fruit of our relationship with you. God, some have strayed. Some have blown it off. Some have become judgmental. Some have become weary. Some just all they can do that's constructive is gripe. I'm so glad that from the cross you looked down and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I'm so glad from the cross you reached back to creation and forward to eternity and brought all the sins of mankind upon your soul. And that's what killed you that day. That's what killed you that day. Because had you not made that sacrifice once and for all, we would have no hope. So God, if there's somebody here today that needs to know you in a personal way, would you help them respond? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing a great song. God's moving in your heart to respond. Would you do so today?